The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, hello, food lovers. We're spreading good cheer this holiday season. Welcome to a full hour of delicious conversation. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, and this is the best of food and drink culture. We're delivering chefs' perspectives, recipes, and culinary insight to eaters across the country, and we hope you'll continue to tune in every Sunday as we share the best of the holiday season. We're always serving up seconds, by the way, where you can feed your insatiable appetite at chefjamie.com and savor the flavor on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. Glad to be with you, Lana, as always. Yes, it's great fun to talk about food, isn't it? Always. (laughs) The gift-giving season is upon us, so we thought we would kick off this hour with something truly personal, something you made yourself, and so we collaborated together to come up with our most amazing edible gifts. I think homemade edible gifts are one of the best things about the holiday season, and we have something scrumptious for everyone on your list, whether they're cookie aficionados, fun fanatics or they happen to love the best of the chocolates of the season we actually like to make our own brilliant bark mm-hmm. and you make yours on parchment paper on a baking sheet yes right? I do mm-hmm. and I make mine on a sill pat mat mm-hmm. and both work uh, very well either way but I think holiday bark is something that is so signature and so sweet what are your favorite toppings when it comes to your own gifts of food and chocolate bark well I like dark or milk chocolate with broken Oreos oh nice that's always wonderful everyone loves that and then also dark chocolate and I love broken up ice cream cones hmm. Waffle cones, yes, right? Yes, and add some mini marshmallows and a nut such as a peanut. That's wonderful as well. And then I also like dried fruit and nuts in bark. But you could also add some Rice Krispies for some crunch. I love the textural component there. And mm-hmm. may I suggest that the nuts, when you're combining them with dried fruit or even just with the chocolate alone, should always be salted because there's something mm. brilliant about the salted nuts and the sweet chocolate. As you mentioned, you can make chocolate bark from dark milk or even white chocolate, or you could actually create a ribbon effect and combine all three melted chocolates together. My suggestion to you when making your own chocolate bark is that you temper the chocolate, which means either in a double boiler or in the microwave at 50% power, you melt the chocolate until it's smooth and glossy and you bring it up to what is body temperature, considered about 98 degrees. Then you stir constantly and as it cools down, the chocolate tempers at about 92 degrees or so, you have a chocolate that once it's set will harden and be shelf stable. There's actually a shortcut to it as well. You could always add a tablespoon of vegetable shortening 
to your melted chocolate. Mix it in as it cools down and you will have a bark that will harden, sometimes with the help of a refrigerator. Uh, there's a great way to chill the bark down for uh, a, a quicker process, essentially. And then you can uh, put them into candy bags, those shards mm-hmm. of bark, and tie it with a ribbon. Um, it's a great way to shortcut the tempering process. Oh, that's great. That's great. What if I only have canola oil or a vegetable oil in the house? It's a great question and one that I get asked often throughout the holiday season. There is a great concern and there are two big culprits to working with chocolate. One is seizing and the other is bloom. There's a great concern to adding liquid and that is oil or Mm -hmm. uh, maybe liqueur to melted chocolate because it might seize, it might harden into a glob of a ball that you cannot use. And so may I suggest that you not add any liquid if you're making chocolate bark that you want to turn out glossy and beautiful. I will say too that chocolate that has bloomed, maybe you've kept your chocolate in the pantry and the temperature has not been consistent and you get that sort of gray fog over the top of the chocolate. Chocolate that is bloomed is perfect for melting. So if you want to use it up, use the chocolate that might not be in perfect condition to make your barks this holiday season. You don't want to throw it out. It's a great way really to use up the excess. Mm -hmm. I think that so many times I see the chocolate with the white on it or Mm -hmm. gray, as you mentioned, that you immediately think something's wrong with it. You want to throw it away. Right. And this is really a wonderful way to consider making bark of every flavor variety. Mm. You can crush peppermint candies over the top. You could put dollops of marshmallow fluff for s'mores inspiration. And then, of course, you can give a gift of food candied nuts like cinnamon pecans or ginger-scented cashews. Or we even make a candied bacon cocktail nut. I never met anybody that done a little bacon. And I think bacon jam is a great gift of food. Oh, definitely People so. love that. I think our top five yes. gifts of food would be a chocolate bark, truffles, mm. biscotti, yes. a flavored vodka or yes. liqueur, or, and bacon jam. I think those top five I would gladly accept as a gift this holiday season. (laughs) When it comes to homemade liqueurs, maybe you're making Kahlua underneath the kitchen sink from scratch or you're infusing holiday vodkas, now is the time to start. And again, we've got recipes galore at chefjamie.com along with a bunch of holiday mixes where you layer all the dry ingredients in a mason jar and give the gift of a homemade brownie mix or the ultimate peanut butter cookie to the baker in your life. When it comes to becoming a better chef we believe that great cooks are not born they're made and we want you to think like a chef so we've posted the weekly feature to think like a chef to make you a better cook in your own kitchen on the website at chefjamie.com and it's all about how to make a trifle everything you can think of layered together starting with simple pound cake could be a pumpkin bread lady fingers brownie bites All of it combined with a good custard or whipped cream and additional flavors. a lemon curd. Oh, nice. Or fruit butter. Bring it on. There we go. Makes for a beautiful trifle. And all you need is a trifle bowl. And once you make it ahead and chill it, dessert is a breeze. Or a martini glass or a big, bold wine glass. Brilliant. And then and you've made an individual trifle. And it looks beautiful. Or a parfait or a fool. We've posted a pumpkin tiramisu trifle recipe as well so that you can think like a chef. And of course, you can always cook with Lana. I love your cook with Lana recipe this week. That would be a great gift of food as well. 
Because cupcakes are still all the rage. And with a brown butter frosting. Yeah, I love brown butter. Can't get enough of it. A continuing food trend that we're seeing into 2014. I've also posted a holiday glog on the website um, because I happen to love warm wine. Even as a certified sommelier, I will tell you, there's something beautiful about mulled wine. And glog in the Scandinavian approach is actually a combination of wine and another spirit. Now, my mulled wine is wine and port, but both of them being grape derivatives. The Scandinavian glog traditionally starts with a spiced vodka. Now you're speaking my language. And you crush cardamom seeds with a little bit of cinnamon and cloves and a good fresh piece of bitey ginger. And you let it steep in a half a cup of vodka for 24 to 48 hours. And you get what is a spiced spirit. Or brandy. Or brandy, yes. And then you take that spirit and you combine it with a bottle of dried red wine and a cup of sugar or you sweeten it to taste. And over the stove, covered in a saucepan, you allow the sugar to dissolve. You don't want to boil it, of course, because you want to keep the alcohol content for those that are celebrating a holly jolly season. And then you serve the glog with beautiful garnishes like golden raisins. You like blanched almonds. Yes, I do. As and, the traditional and topping. cinnamon sticks and yes. slices of orange and or star dry. anise, that mm-hmm. beautiful dried spice that floats on the top of the glass. Beautiful. You could always make the glog a couple of days before, keep it in the fridge, and then reheat it again. It's a great make ahead, mm. and I think a really wonderful cocktail conversation starter. And the aroma of simmering spices and wine will fill your home with just such Christmas cheer or oh, New Year's cheer. for sure. You know what fills your home with great smells as well? What is it? Long, slow braises. Ah. So I posted my red wine braised short ribs because I think it's a great make-ahead. And it's always an impressive dish. And rather than mashed potatoes, consider the beauty of root vegetables this year and make a parsnip oh, puree. That. You make a cauliflower puree that mm-hmm. would be beautiful as the base as well. And you'll find our weekly dish at chefjamie.com. You'll also find my candied orange peel recipe. I like to put chopped up pieces of candied orange peel um, and candied ginger into uh, winter apple crisps, into chocolate chip cookies, um, into cake batter. And so I thought I would share that recipe. That would make a great gift of food as mm, well. Nice. Nice to also in a bowl just to put out with some wine. Or... Oh, perfect. Or you could gild the lily and dip each piece halfway in dark chocolate. Okay, now I'm in. There we go. And we hope you'll stay tuned because there's lots more delicious inspiration in your radio. We have grand guests coming up. Alan Benton, the dear and wonderful gentleman who has run Benton's Bacon for so very long, is sharing the virtues of his incredible smoky bacon and hams. They are my favorite. Plus, Andrea Smetona is joining us. She's teaching you how to make easy as pie pops, not cake pops. It's the best of pie on a stick for the holidays. Plus, he is Danny Cohen. And his macaroons have certainly made their way across the country in the top retail stores and your favorite holiday-driven department stores. He's the author of the Macaroon Bible, and he's divulging the secrets to the best coconut macaroons. There's more delicious culinary conversation in your radio right after this. Great cooks aren't born, they're made. So stay tuned. We'll make you the best cook we can right after the break.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio, delivering delicious conversation clear across the globe. You've heard me speak about culinary heroes. Well, this gentleman is no doubt one and also an icon. Alan Benton's business, Benton's Bacon and Hams, started in 1947, in fact, and he took it over in 1973 in Madisonville, Tennessee, celebrating 40 years, in fact, just west of the Great Smoky Mountains. He cures his hams in a very modest, single-level, cinder-block building that has housed all of his operations from the smokehouse to the loading bay to even the cash register. And he has earned applause and menu space from top-rated chefs across the country, becoming the most respected producer in the United States. It is Benton's Hams and Benton's Bacon that maintains its original digs and its time-tested dry curing process. It has reached mythical status, and you've heard me say it before. It is the best bacon you will ever have, and people do say that once you taste it, you're hooked. It's like a drug, and I will say it is the closest to a bacon drug I've ever had. And we love when Alan Benton graces us with his presence once a year to share his extraordinary talent and his incredible products. We are entering the church of Alan Benton. That's right. And and so we bow down to you, Alan, once again, this holiday season and your beautiful bacon. How are you, good sir? Welcome back. What an honor it is to speak with you again, Jane. Oh, thank you, Alan, so much. Okay, for those that might not know, Benton's Hickory Smoked Bacon is made the old world way, correct? And your pork bellies are heritage hogs. That's correct. Talk to us, if you would, about the process itself, because you're about salt and brown sugar and serious smoke, and that's what I love. Well, first off, you want to start with the best raw product. Yeah, that's, we're, we're greedy. We're not nice, James. <laughs> <laughs> we're wanting to make an extraordinary product, and to do that, you have to start out with great, fresh product. We try to source as many old heritage breeds of pigs as we can. We prefer them raised on pasture with no antibiotics in the feed. And we bring those fresh pork bellies into our modest little plant here. And uh, we start out by rubbing a mixture of salt and brown sugar. No nitrates, no nitrites. And we put them in cure, a dry cure rubbed on them. Leave them for about 10 days. We wash the cure off and hang them on racks where they dry in a cooler at about 40 degrees for another week and a half to 10 days. Somewhere in that ballpark. And from there, we age them at room temperature for maybe a week. We run them into our smokehouse for about three days of intense smoke. And our bacon, if you don't like smoke, you certainly don't want to buy our hickory smoked bacon because it's got a very intense smoke flavor. It's also going to taste saltier than uh, store-bought bacon. It has a much saltier flavor than store-bought, but it's that combination of the salt, brown sugar, and the smoke that transforms it into a product that we make, and it's not for everybody. Uh, some people, I'm sure, eat my bacon and think it's the worst thing they've ever had, uh, but thank goodness some people do like it. Yeah, just for you to know, Alan, I have no intention of ever meeting those people that you just spoke about. 
because there is something extraordinary about being able to impart that smoke flavor and the quality of the bacon and the fat versus protein content that I think, um, and I'll speak for most chefs and at least those with good taste across the country that have spread the gospel of Benton's bacon, like I have, that's what we love about it is that intense flavor. One of the things about your hams, going back to ham too, that I know and love is that a traditional ham is usually cured for, I don't know, maybe a few months, let's say, the one that makes your holiday table buffet. Benton's hams are cured nine to ten months, correct? That is correct. Yeah. And and that's what makes them completely unique. Uh, Lana, one of the things we love about Alan's ham is the big, thick mm. slice that mm. takes you back to your childhood when yes. Grandma used to make raisin sauce, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But this is so smoky and yeah. so delicious so each good. bite. So, so good. What's your best breakfast recipe? Are you still cooking with soda? You can pan fry the ham and... If I've got a pot of coffee brewed and I'm going to saute my ham in a pan, I like to pour about, uh, for say two or three or four slices, I like to pour somewhere around a third to a half cup of brewed coffee in my frying pan. And I like to add maybe one big pinch of brown sugar, maybe a tablespoon or more, to the frying pan and stir it into the liquid and lay my slices into that mix and lightly saute it in a pan. Most people today make the mistake of overcooking country ham. You don't have to worry about turkana in a properly cured country ham, so they end up overcooking and I think ruining the quality a lot of times. You only want to saute it lightly on one side, lightly on the other side, take it up and serve it. And that combination of coffee and brown sugar will tend to neutralize the saltiness a little bit for those folks who uh, can't tolerate the salt. Of course, dry-cured country ham like I make does have a salty flavor. It's actually mandated by USDA. You must have a salt content of at least 4% or greater, which means that country ham or dry-cured ham is going to taste salty, of course. Mm. Mm. I'm fine with that. Bring it on. That red-eyed gravy with your ham and hot biscuits sopping up the red-eyed gravy is sensational. I was just going to run through Mm. all the things we love to do with Alan Benton's brilliant bacon and hams. And Red Eye Gravy was next on my list, Lana. And when, Alan, you taught me to cook your ham slices, it was either Coca-Cola or coffee. And I I remember that. So whether you go uh, with the soda angle or the caffeine jolt, Mm -hmm. you will add an incredible flavor profile. For breakfast, um, I like to take Alan's smoky bacon, top it with an additional layer of brown sugar and then pecans and those bacon slices have been laid out once you've taken them out of the package on a rack on a baking sheet and then topped brown sugar and pecans Mm. again and then roasted off and you have the best candied Benton's bacon you've ever dreamt of in your whole life. (laughs) Fabulous. How about our infused Benton's old fashioned? Yes, Alan, we've been toasting you of late with a cocktail. (laughs) Well, it's it's quite popular in some areas. Yes. I first had it at a little bar in New York City that I guess made it popular and was the first I knew how to do it called PDT. If you ever go to New York, uh, drop by PDT. It's an incredible little place. Yeah, that it is. And then for the holidays, allow me to inspire you. Benton's Bacon will take your dishes over the top. You can cut thick lardons as the first step in making a myriad of braises or pastas 
or vegetable sides or stews. Coco Van has never been better in its whole existence than with Alan Benton's prized bacon. Uh, beef bourguignon, the split pea soups that we love throughout the cold winter months. And I will say, Alan, this is a testament to your talent. Your Tennessee prosciutto, or essentially what you're making similar to the European cousins of ours, as you speak about, is quite extraordinary, too. Chef Jamie, I think, I think I'm turning red. Oh. I'm talking to the phone. I, I, I <laughs> uh, think you I'm are. I'm not sure I deserve all these accolades. I think no, a lot you do. Of, uh, I think a lot of my success is because of the tremendous creativity and talent of the chefs across the country that mm. use this product. And yes. You're certainly reminiscent of what I'm talking about. Wow. I think you nice. use it in such you. creative ways that uh, you can turn a, a southern staple into a delicacy, quite honestly. <laughs> I think we should turn a Southern staple into a staple every day on our tables. And uh, our listeners should know um, that uh, I am proud of my friendship with Alan Benton. And as one of the chefs in this country who is proud to use incredible quality product from self-made, small and quality-driven entrepreneurs, we talk about Benton's Bacon and Benton's Hams on this show only to spread the gospel, to let you know that you can bring the best ingredients into your home as our way of giving back to bettering the food community and for no other reason. If you are lucky, you will still get a delivery from Benton's Ham and Benton's Bacon before the holiday season, and I encourage you to go to Benton's Country Ham dot com b e n t o n s c o u n t r y h a m dot com Benton's Country Ham dot com or you can call this number but I'm letting you know and Alan you'll confirm this it is still a rotary telephone that you work on and you're most likely not checking the phone you're checking the fire in the smokehouse is that correct that's pretty typical <laughs> Alan is it true that you want people to be able to bend the bacon without breaking it when you after you have cooked it you do not want it crisp bacon is best not cooked hard and crisp. If you cook this bacon that we make hard and crisp, I don't think you'll enjoy it as much. Um, it's meant to be served so that it starts to get just a little crisp, but you can still bend it without breaking it, and that's perfect. You can do it either in the frying pan or the oven. Uh, it works equally well. I'm a traditionalist. I do mine still in a frying pan. I think my wife, Sharon, may be the best at frying bacon on the planet. <laughs> yeah. That seems fitting to me, Alan. And if I lived any closer to you um, than this... Yes. We would be at your house. I was going to say, <laughs> we would be asking you to prove that fact. We, we could prove it. Here in yeah. the South, hospitality goes without saying. That, that There's no doubt. Um, I've heard you say it before, and I will compliment you with the like. You are as humble as cornbread, no doubt, Alan. And you are a gift to the culinary world. And it wouldn't be a holiday season without us acknowledging your great talent. These are world-class country hams and bacon, and uh, my life has been made better by Benton's. Yours can be, too. Um, to call direct, it's 423-442-5003. Alan, Lana, and I send our best. Um, lots of love and lots of bacon this holiday season, and we know that your 2014 will be as successful and delicious as ever. What a pleasure it's been to talk to you. Thank I'm you. not sure I deserve all these accolades, but no. I'm going to smile as I go to bed tonight. <laughs> I, I'm sure you do.
There's more delicious conversation to keep you in the culinary know in your radio right after this. Please don't go away. This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show that celebrates food and wine, a place for those who love to eat and have a passion for cooking. Very happy holiday season to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. All right, what could be better than your own personal portable sweet treat on a stick? That's right. They're called Pie Pops, and they are the brainchild of Andreas Matona. They are small in size and huge on flavor and fun. And since we know that cake pops have been hugely popular for some time now, why not take what everybody loves, pie, and put it on a stick? I love the idea of this new sweet tooth treat and best of all they are easy to make andrea is here to share her passion and to give us a tutorial her book has just released the cookbook called easy as pie pops and we're glad to have you andrea welcome hi chef thank you so much for having me yes of course okay tell lana and i the story behind pie pops because you must be a pie lover over cake Mm -hmm. i really am (laughs) Like you said, cake pops were kind of just hitting the scene just a few years ago. And while I was mastering those, I came across a little blog that showed little mini pies. And I thought, hey, you know what? Why not put them on a stick and offer them along with cake pops? Because I just happen to have a pie tooth, so to speak. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the idea of the sweet and the savory. And we'll get yeah. to the sweet, but I'd like to start with the savory. Is there anything different about your basic master recipe for pie dough that would differ from the traditional full-sized pie recipe? There really isn't, and I have a homemade pie crust that I include that's pretty generic. You can sweeten it up or you can use it for savory pies too, which is why I really like it. For the sweet pies, I do the little peekaboos and things like that, but I can also do a sprinkle of cinnamon sugar or just regular sugar, or you can do a sugar glaze. And then for the savory ones, what I usually do to kind of tone down the sweet Mm -hmm. would be just to add herbs. You can add salt and pepper for my Gouda broccoli quiche. I just do some cracked pepper and some salt on the top. The crust is pretty much a blank slate. You can do whatever you'd like to do with it. Mm, The chicken pot pie. Is that the first one you're going to make? Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And I was thinking. They look wonderful. You know, we have so much leftover turkey. Thanksgiving Uh after Christmas, too. What a great way to utilize the turkey pot pie. concept in Andrea's pie pops. And can you freeze them even though they're on a stick in the traditional form? I have done that before. When I ship them, what I tell my customers, I ship them and they're individually wrapped. But if you're just making a batch and you'd like to freeze them, you can individually wrap them Mm -hmm. either in foil or maybe just some plastic wrap and then put those in a freezer safe bag. And then once you're ready to enjoy them, You can kind of pop them out, stick them on the baking sheet, and maybe do 350 for 10 minutes. Oh, and just to rewarm them. Smart. Can you take us on a virtual visual tour of how one makes a pie pop? Because it's not just like a cake pop where you bind all of the ingredients on a stick. You have an assembly of sorts that I would love for our listeners to understand. What you do is you just take your pie crust. If you're really good at doing pastry, you can use your own homemade recipe or you can use the one that I use in the book. But if you're kind of a newbie, I always recommend maybe just starting out with one of the store-bought refrigerated rolled pie crusts. Oh, great Um, shortcut. Love it. It's a great shortcut and it's good to kind of just get the technique down. 
so you're not oh. kind of wasting a lot of your dough or Smart. anything Great like idea. that. Yes. Yeah, and what you do is you just kind of roll it out with a rolling pin, and you can take any cookie cutters. I usually recommend three to four inch size or any size really. There's lots of fun cookie cutters you can use. If you're going to do a dozen, then you'd stamp out 24 little cookie shapes, or what I call them as pie crust rounds. So you would have your top and your bottom crust because they're essentially little pocket pies. Right. So once you have all your rounds cut out, then you just kind of align them on a baking sheet. And then I just use a simple egg wash. The egg wash for the bottom crust is actually to keep the stick in place. And then also once you're putting your top crust over your filling, it kind of seals it a little bit. And so you just take an egg wash and then you place your parchment stick and then you dispense your filling and you can just spoon it in. And then you just place your top crust on top of that on the filling, kind of align it, make sure it's all aligned and pretty. And then you can use a fork to kind of crimp the edges or you can use a little stick dowel, which I explain in the book, and you can kind of crimp it that way. Then you have your top crust ready to go and you can do another egg wash on top. If you're doing savory, you can do cracked pepper or garlic or rosemary or whatever you'd like to do. Or if you're doing sweet, you can do cinnamon sugar. Mm-hmm. And then you bake them. And you bake them at 350 for about 15 minutes. Do you suggest refrigerating them before you bake them? You know, I really don't. Um, sometimes the crust can get a little soggy depending on the filling that you're using. Oh, so good to you, know. Yeah, it's usually best to do it right away. And if you wanted to save them for later, then you can always freeze them. But they do save pretty well for about four to five days if you wrap them individually. So if you do have to make them ahead of time, just wrap them individually and you're good to go. You're the 2013 hottest gift of food, I've decided. (laughs) Yes. If you made your own pie pops from Andrea's book and you wrapped them individually and you gave them as gifts, you will be a culinary hero. And seeing that they have a shelf life too, from savory to sweet, imagine like a little individual mini pie on a stick that can be in the dessert fashion or in the starter course fashion. So I think we should start at the beginning of the meal. I love the pizza pockets, by the way, for kids. Everything you love Mm. about pizza on a stick. How great is that? But I was planning on pouring a cocktail, inviting you over, Lana, and making Andrea's honeyed fig pie pops. I love the idea of the cheese and the figs and the rosemary, that herbaceousness just infused throughout, Andrea. It's one of my favorites. Oh, I love it. See, Andrea pours herself a glass of Chardonnay and sits down. (laughs) Right? Exactly. I read it right. I love that. Take us to the sweet. Christmas is quickly approaching. What is your favorite winter pie in the form of a pop? It's so hard for me to choose. People always ask me that. And honestly, I have something special that attaches me to each one. But I would have to say the pecan is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. But if you're not really big into nuts, the pumpkin cheesecake is always a favorite, too, mm. among people that like more of like a custardy kind of pie, too. I love that idea of the creamy cheesecake filling surrounded by lots of crust and right. texture. And the fact that you can stand and hold a lollipop is pretty great, too. There's a cranberry walnut crisp, a mm-hmm. strawberry rhubarb, an old-fashioned apple, even a donju pear. Everything from um, blueberry bouquets to vintage blackberry, caramel apple, and cherry tart. It's the fresh and fruity and simply savory 
pie pops that are taking the baker's world by storm. They're cute and they're delicious and they're fun mini desserts for every occasion. Andreas Matona is the owner of Cakewalk Desserts and she's sharing for the first time her most in-demand pie pop recipes. Andrea, we are excerpting your honeyed fig on the website at chefjamie.com with a direct link to Amazon where your book is being sold. And we oh, thank you. Um, thank and you both. So I will toast my cocktail to you. Oh, thank you both so much. <laughs> and this continued success to you. Thank you for sharing your passion. I love the idea. I love that it's unique and it's different. And it's pie. Who isn't going to love pie? <laughs> right? I would eat big pie. <laughs> <laughs> what fun to hold a pie on a stick. That it is. Andrea, thanks again. Very happy holiday season to you and your family. Thank you. You too. Thanks. The delicious conversation continues in your radio right after this. You heard it here. Don't touch your dial. It's delicious, it's divine, it's food and wine. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, as always, in your radio. This is true culinary exploration. All right, I have to tell you, this cookbook made me hungry. Dan Cohen founded New York City's premier macaroon company in 2010, and his delicious coconut treats have been featured in Food & Wine magazine, the New York Post, the Huffington Post, the Chicago Tribune, and many more. And now he's sharing his recipes with you. He believes that coconut cookies or macaroons are cookies that utilize coconut as the vehicle to deliver happiness to mouths. And his gluten-free recipes, many of which are five ingredients or less, are making the possibilities infinite for you to master the macaroon. The book is called The Macaroon Bible, and Dan Cohen is here. We're glad to have you, Dan. Welcome. Thanks very much, Amy. <laughs> of course. And congratulations. The book really is fabulous. I, we're a macaroon-loving family, Dan. And I will say that with the French macaroons' increased exposure, I have a newfound appreciation for the traditional coconut macaroon, one that I very much associate with the Jewish tradition, which we are. Um, but if you would take us through the history of the macaroon to start before we delve deep into your recipes. It's a very old dessert. Yeah. Right now. It, the origins, I think, are most commonly attributed to the macaroon sisters of uh, 17th century France. But the origins actually go back way further. As best I was able to tell, the origin actually goes back to 6th century Persia and their traditional desserts of groundnut flowers and honey. And those desserts were sort of, let's say, absorbed by the invading Arabs and incorporated into their culinary traditions. And when they met the Italians, or the Sicilians actually, they began to be incorporated into Italian culinary tradition. From there they were adopted by Catherine de' Medici as her favorite sort of dessert. Um, and during the Renaissance, she married uh, Prince, uh, King Henry of France, moved to France, brought her favorite cookies with her, which were at that time amaretti, made from ground-up bitter almonds. And yeah, love those too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think all of these cookies right, are fundamentally the same because they come from a ground flour and leavened with egg whites, Mm. and sweetened with sugar. And gluten-free, um, by the way, which is something that I think... They should be. Yes, they should be. But I think that's a virtually uh, beautiful bonus, essentially, because you've made a cookie that's super indulgent, or can be, if you're making Danny macaroons, s'mores macaroons. By the way, that looks killer. I can't imagine what would be better than a shredded coconut macaroon 
complete with melted chocolate and oozing marshmallow. That's right up my alley, by the way. I almost lick that page in the book. But <laughs> there's something to be said for the fact that they're inherently gluten-free if made properly. And you talk about the technique in the book. And I think if you would make just a couple of mentions about it, um, that the whipping of the egg whites is most important, the folding of the mixture. And then the fact that they should be baked ahead makes them a super simple cookie. You mentioned earlier the rise in popularity of the French macaron. And I think that French macaron carry with them this tradition of um, requiring the expert baker. Coconut mm. macaroons are not like that. They're, mm. they're really accessible. I mean, they require very few ingredients. The skills that are involved are ones that I think everybody has, everybody's able to scoop, and everybody's able to mix stuff around with a spatula. And that's really all you need technique-wise. What, you know, our, the, the macaroons that, in my book, um, are all very simple. I love, too, that you mentioned in the book that macaroons are totally bake-ahead kind of cookie. They're not one that you eat straight out of the oven. They're perfectly made in advance. They're fantastic straight from the fridge, and they freeze beautifully as well. I find that, for me, that the, you know, chocolate chip cookies, great, even when they're still hot and gooey, but the macaroons, I really think that they're better when they've had, a, had some time to sit for a little bit, mm-hmm. bake them, cool them off, the exterior is still crispy, the interior is, you know, soft and sort of pillowy and chewy, mm-hmm. um, but not still warm, because I find that the flavors really need time to sort of mellow out to meld. and meld fully with each other. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about flavors. Let me tell you what I rabbit-eared in the book. The double chocolate almond macaroon that you make is, as you say, definitely for a chocoholic. And that is the basic, what you make is an original vanilla macaroon. In fact, can we share one of your recipes on the site and link through to your book, Dan? Sure, absolutely. We'd love it. So the original vanilla macaroon will be posted in seconds at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. And it will link you through to a direct link where you can order Dan Cohen's The Macaroon Bible Cookbook directly from Amazon. You'll take that recipe and then you'll create all of these sumptuous flavors. So you add dark chocolate and then dip the macaroons just to gild the lily in chocolate again, and then roll them in almonds. That's it. And it really is simple. I mean, there's the whole process, preparing the macaroons, getting them in the oven. I mean, that whole process is probably 20 minutes. Yeah, super simple. Take out all your ingredients until the time they're in the oven. Leave us with this, a chocolate bomb. I think this is truly your best creation yet, and that is the combination of rich chocolate ganache that is enrobed, essentially packaged on the outside with the crispness of the crunchy coconut and the creamy interior. If I could only show you a picture through your radio, you too would think that Dan Cohen was a god, a macaroon god, really, Dan. Well, you you can't really ever go wrong with ganache. It doesn't get any better. Do you make truffle batter, essentially chocolate truffle? Batter. I was just going to say, yeah, that's basically what it is. If you've got a really nice, intensely flavored truffle, mm-hmm. stuff them inside and bake them up, the surprise that's inside that waits for you is, is really great. Fabulous. Well, I think there are multiple surprises in the book, and we congratulate you. Uh, Dan Cohen is making macaroons that you grew up with. 
only way better. And now he's sharing his secrets and you are redefining the coconut macaroon. And we thank you. Continued success. Please feel free to send macaroons anytime, Danny. Oh, we will. Don't <laughs> worry. You'll have... You'll have plenty of macaroons. An office full. I can't wait to cook from the book as well. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. Recipes and tips for all the marvelous holiday meals shared on this show can be found at chefjamie.com. We like to leave you with our last bite, as we call it, a last ounce or tidbit of culinary information. And this week, we're suggesting that you make your own pumpkin pie spice this holiday season. Pumpkin pie spice is simply a blend of spices that you most likely already have in your pantry. And by making your own blend, you can actually adjust the quantities according to your personal taste. You might even save some money, too. Making your own pumpkin pie spice is so simple, and it really adds that touch of pure fall flavor to a variety of recipes. All you need is to combine one tablespoon of ground cinnamon with two teaspoons ground ginger and a half a teaspoon of ground nutmeg. I've posted the measurements and the ingredients on my Facebook page at Chef Jamie Gwen. You can always add the optional extras like ground cloves or allspice or even cardamom. But consider mixing this homemade pumpkin pie spice into sugar and making something so much better than cinnamon toast in the morning. I like to add the blend to warm cider or wine. I'll even dust winter squash before I drizzle it with maple syrup and roast it in the oven for fabulous winter flavor. I've even included my homemade pumpkin pie spice in an ice cream base for a seasonal treat. Ooh, I love it. You can always give the homemade pumpkin pie spice as a gift of food. And once again, find delicious inspiration at ChefJamie.com. And don't forget to vote. We need your votes. This program has been nominated for a Taste Award, and we are truly honored. It's a People's Choice Award, so please go to the website at ChefJamie.com and mark your vote. And please do tune in next Sunday when the delicious conversation continues. Wishing you a delicious holiday season. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen for Lana as well. We hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.